0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Childless Not By Choice, where my mission is to recognize and speak to the Childless Not By Choice women and men around the world. Savella Morgan here. I am spreading the great news that we can live a joyful, relevant, and fulfilled life, although we did not have the children we so wanted. I would also like to thank everyone who recognizes that we are not all living the same type of life. Welcome to Episode 109. 109. Can you believe it? Because I can't. <laughs> I still am pinching myself that I made it up to 100 episodes. So 109 is pretty cool. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, because we have a wonderful episode planned for you today, I'm actually interviewing a wonderful woman about a book that I read that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I want you to be able to enjoy it as well. And so we're going to go through this book, we're going to talk, and I hope that that will compel you to add one more book on childlessness to your library because those of you who belong to the community group, you know that we have a library in there. So this book will be added to our library. It's a great book and we'll talk more about it in just a moment. But I also, I would like to thank my Patreon contributors for their contribution to helping maintain the platform. Jordan Morgan, Ivy Calhoun, Sandra Carzato. thank you guys so much for your monthly contributions. If you go to patreon.com forward slash childless not by choice, you can also make a contribution for as little as $5 a month or as much as $100 a month. And so, and there are different levels in between. So whatever matches your pocketbook and your budget, this money is going towards paying the hosting fees, the podcast producing fees, the website manager fees, it goes right back into the platform. So if you ever have questions about exactly how the money's being used, feel free to reach out to me at Savella at SavellaMorgan.com. So let's get started because without further ado, I'd love to go ahead and introduce you to. Ms. Kate Kaufman. I'm actually looking at her book right now, Do You Have Kids? Life When the Answer is No by Ms. Kate Kaufman. And I thoroughly enjoyed reading this book. I love whenever a book comes out that talks to us and about us. And I love to be a part of the the conversation and helping to get the information in these books out. And so I'm honored that Ms. Kaufman's publicist reached out to me And I'm going to try to do it justice by talking to her about her book, Do You Have Kids? Life When the Answer is No. So Kate Kaufman first got an inkling of how different life as a non-mom could be after she and her husband abandoned fertility treatments, quit their corporate jobs, and moved from a San Francisco suburb in an excellent school district to a rural community in Oregon to raise sheep. Everyone in the country seemed to have kids. So began her quest for defining her identity as a childless woman in a culture high on family. Since 2012, Kate has talked intimately about the topic with hundreds of women ranging in age from 24 to 91 and advocates for being understanding of the childless, child-free demographic by speaking in classrooms, on panels, and before professional groups, among them the University of Dayton, AARP, and the Oregon Community Foundation. Kate received her MFA in creative writing in 2016 from the Northwest Institute of Literary Arts and has a professional background in corporate staffing, training, and consulting. She lives in Portland, Oregon. Hi, Kate. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Seville, and congratulations on reaching that 100-plus milestone.
0: Oh thank you so much as I just and I read your bio before because I wanted to not read it not to be too fresh with it and then not read it properly and I said wow that MFA worked because <laughs> as I read that book I just there are some writers that you can just and I, I'm going to ask you about that in one of the chapters that I read but when there are certain writers that they there's a flow and it's flowery it's beautiful And it captures the imagination, and that's what the writing in this book was doing for me. It was really, really capturing my imagination as I read the different stories of the women that you spoke with and interviewed. So, again, I really hope that the listener will check this book out. It was pretty cool to read. So. As I was just like, let's just jump into it because it's a lot. But I had to, oh, I had to, you know, I had to stop it somewhere. So I plucked out what I thought would really work for us. Of course, as you know, I'm a little bit of a conversationalist, so we can just transition on as as we want to. But I wanted to at least have some questions for you. And one of the questions is, on the introduction page, on page twelve of the intro, you say there are things we non-moms know little about, like labor pains, imposing teen curfews, what it feels like when a daughter becomes a mother herself. There are other things we often know quite a lot about, continuous learning or personal independence or donating to a college fund for a child we may never meet. Such things are not off limits to mothers, of course. We simply have more capacity in our lives to pursue them. And as I read through, that grabbed me. And just wonder if you can talk to the childless, not by choice woman, though, who may be still dwelling on the fact that she did not have children, she did not experience pregnancy or teen curfews, about how she can feel empowered in helping an absolute stranger go to college or become a lifelong learner and teacher, how to accept her capacity to manage her life of quote-unquote, more freedom without feeling like she needs to answer to society about what she is doing with her time and money? It's a long question, but...
1: (laughs) It is a long question, and (laughs) we can parse it out, I think, in a way that's very complementary to the answer to the question, which in my mind is the moving and the shifting happens moment by moment, step by step, and often the steps are so small, we're not even aware that we're moving along that path. And that's partially why, in the book, it was, well, even before the book, but that's why, for my own personal path, it was really important to talk to people of different ages. And one of the challenges that I faced, because when we find that place where it becomes apparent that we're not going to have children, what do we do then? And that was the question that was most important to me, because when we moved to the country, I didn't come across people that didn't have kids. As as you mentioned, everyone seemed to have families, which, of course, is not true. It's just that we, as a demographic who don't have children, are not readily apparent. We're quiet. Hiding in
0: plain sight.
1: Hiding in plain sight. Beautiful way to put it. And we always have been. We range from 10 to 20% of the population, depending on when we were born, and yet we're silent. And in that silence is where our grief lives, and in our silence is where our growth happens. And we can't do one without the other, unfortunately. I mean, I sat in my grief for quite a long time, and part of it was because I, made what in hindsight was a rather bizarre decision to go from the great suburban school district out into the country. And what I found in the course of writing the book is really that was a time of immersion journalism to really zero in on what was this experience that I was not having. Mm -hmm. And in many ways it was extra painful, but in other ways I think it helped bring to the surface what my questions were and amplified the quest that I have been on to find sources of information and relief, much like what happens with mothers when they are pregnant and other mothers are easing them into these new roles. We don't have that route and I went looking for that route. Mm.
0: So maybe it wasn't as bizarre as you thought. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was pretty challenging going through those immersion years, I must say.
0: Yeah, I think we all have them. If we, And I'm sure, as you've spoken to many of the, not necessarily maybe the child-free, but the childless, not-by-choice women that you spoke with, they all had those years of silence. And I never thought about it, but I had 10 years of silence before I finally had my hysterectomy. And I, those were years when I didn't even tell my very good friends what was going on with me was absolutely silent about it. The
1: same with me. My immediate family knew almost nothing about mm-hmm. it. And my friends and certainly at work, nope, nope.
0: Mm-mm. Just tried, And they must have known something wasn't right. I mean, you know, as I look back on that 10 years, I'm like, they weren't dumb people. I mean, I, most of those 10 years, I was working at a brokerage firm, a very well-known firm around the country. And so I was working with very smart people. <laughs> they must have known something wasn't right. <laughs> but I just hit it.
1: <laughs> yes, and we have that taboo of going into the space if someone has a hunch mm-hmm. that it might be in the arena of our fertility. We don't go there. They mm-hmm. might be catching, who knows?
0: Right, so, they certainly didn't go there, and so yeah, nobody went there, and so yes, we just remained silent during that time period, but you know, this next question, it may be a bit of a follow-up to the previous question, but you say on um, page 13, because I, I couldn't even get out of the intro. <laughs> I spent so much time, as much time in the intro, I'm like, this intro could be a book onto itself. Really. <laughs> I mean, really. So yeah, in, yeah, but I was in there for a little while because this next question comes from just the next page over where you say life without kids can be as interesting and rewarding as raising a family. I know some people may be like, huh? (laughs) But you continue to say our impact in the world is enormous, but often understated. And you say, while our reproductive systems may be susceptible to malady, we bring a diverse presence to the communities in which we live. And after our time on earth is, see, this is what I'm talking about, the writing. After our time on earth is done, we leave behind something other than the footsteps of children. And that's beautiful. But the question I had for you on that section is that, you know, our impact on the world is enormous, but often understated. And I I mean, look at Oprah Winfrey and look at the women who didn't have children, but are and have left such such an impact. Because I did an episode a while back on women down through the ages who never had children, artists and poets and scientists who didn't have children, but they left such an impact on the world. And it got me thinking about Theresa May, the prime minister of the United Kingdom, and Australia's former prime minister, Julia Gillard. And for probably for different reasons, they're both childless. And whether we agree with their politics or not, that's aside. The fact is they're childless and they're leaving a footprint. But they have gotten so much flack for being childless. How do you think those of us who are not so high on the, the profile, you know, totem pole, can deal with society's backlash?
1: Well, I think first and foremost, and what provocative questions. Um, oh, thank you. You're welcome. But first and foremost is I think that word of impact, our impact. We have our collective impact that I don't think is well recognized. And we have our personal impact, which I think also mm-hmm. for many of us is not well recognized. And it's something that we build. And for those of us who tried to have children and were unsuccessful, which is a, that's a funny word to use for mm-hmm. that because it's so much more than a lack of success. It's got so much more levels of nuance. It's recognizing and looking for those ways that we are creating impact. Again, it's one of those things you can't know early on. Right. You need to know by noticing How people are responding. And for me personally, it happens in the classroom. I have traditionally, though I'm not doing it right now because I'm doing book stuff, spent time in primary grade classrooms helping kids learn how to read because it's really important to me. And I thought, oh my God, these children are not going to remember the moments that I'm making a difference in their lives. But I know for sure that I am, even if it's just helping them see and have that realization of the different phonetic sounds. Mm-hmm. The little things, the little teeny details. Teeny things, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to make the impact of Theresa May, or that's not in my life plan, and mm-hmm. that's fine. If this book makes some impact and helps move the needle of stigmas and stereotypes so that we're a little better understood, mm-hmm. or even more importantly, that... Other women, the women coming in the next generations, have a feeling of not being marginalized right. but being more normalized. Because we've always been here. So we always have been, quote, normal.
0: Right. I think it was Jody Day that says we've been here from the beginning of time.
1: Yes, we have.
0: You know? It's something that I guess some of us even as childless not by choice women don't even think about. But yeah, when you were just responding there, I thought of the word validity. I think that's a word, validity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what came to mind as you were responding there. So yeah, that makes absolute sense. As we move on here, on page 14, the next page over in the intro section, (laughs) you say, who mentors a non-mom? You say, mothers regularly help other expectant women navigate pregnancy. And then you go on to say, but your mom can't describe what it's, it's like not having children. And there's no what to expect when you're expecting when you're not and never will be. Who mentors a non mom? And I was like, wow, these are things that these are provocative questions. And I hope that they're not just provocative for the childless, not by choice woman, but for the woman with children. And you talk about it in the book how we converse with each other as non moms and moms. It's so important. And I've always said that. And, but my question here is this is where. I think, and why I think community is so important and community is a big deal for me. And as I read your book, it seems so for you as well. I felt like a large scale type of community, like a global community from you as I read this. And probably because of the travels you've done interviewing people and talking to people about being childless. Could you describe though, tell us
1: what you see community as? Oh my goodness. Yes, I can. And I think the important word we've already used the word independence Mm -hmm. and most of us will, at the end of our lives, become dependent, but now is the time for us to really recognize and grow our interdependence. And that interdependence is certainly between and betwixt those of us who are childless not by choice. There are also interdependencies I see between the child less and the child free, which I don't see as two separate camps. I actually see that as a nuanced continuum that shifts and morphs over the course of the lifetime and between moms and non-moms, that there are ways that we can learn and support and grow regardless of where we plug into the experience of being a woman, of being a world citizen. I truly do.
0: Hmm. See, I never thought about that before. And I've interviewed one woman who was childless by choice. So that's in the library. But I never really thought about putting the child free with the childless not by choice because one camp made a choice and the other one had no choice.
1: (laughs) Yes. And we're going to go through the full life cycle with that fact. And that's our common ground. And something that I've been thinking a lot about lately is how we segment into these ever smaller pieces of the demographic pie and we lose some of our commonality in that way and frankly that's one of the reasons i think that we have mothers pitting against non-mothers and the childless versus the child-free mm-hmm. and yet we're all occupying this space together and if we can build more understanding of those all those different experiences oh my gosh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But some of that comes because we don't know how to talk about it yet.
0: We don't know how to talk to each other.
1: We don't. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. And that's really part of the cornerstone of my platform is to get us to talk to each other, to have a conversation instead of, you know, that's one thing I don't want is to pit us against them. I don't want that. And so I totally agree with that. As I continued reading, I looked at uh, page eight where it says there are no common blueprints for how we structure our lives, kind of pivoting a little bit and well, maybe a little bit of what you said previously where we live who we befriend without child rearing responsibilities we lack well-defined paths and readily apparent role models without responsibility for young lives or a genetic trajectory into our future generations our lifetimes have genetic finish lines that, wow so our limb on the family tree does not branch or bear fruit so we fashion and form our own lives differently than mothers do and again Yes, we're all sharing the space. There are childless, child-free women with children, but we're all sharing, we all have a shared space. We can all start from the place where we're all women. And yes, there are childless men out there too, but you know, this is for everybody who's, we're all sharing the space, the human space. And so how do we get them to see, I don't know, such intricacies without creating a sob story with every interaction that we have? And I, you kind of answered it, but maybe tell us a little bit more about how not to grumble and groan every time somebody asks, do you have children?
1: Oh, yes. And, and let me just say that I know that the title to my book, Do You Have Kids? Life When the Answer's No, I know that that is a provocative title. And I did that on purpose mm-hmm. because we all dread the question. So I think one of the starting points is that We need to recognize that this is a charged situation. It is going to be messy to go into that space if we choose to go into the space. And like any tough conversation, we want to go slowly. We want to expect to make and receive mistakes. So if we can just cut ourselves and the people with whom we're conversing, just a little bit of slack so Mm -hmm. that we have that we have that recognition, we're going to stub our toes and then call it out. It's like if a mom were to notice how we might pull back and grimace and just say, oh my goodness, I just noticed that you pulled back. Could I start another way? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or even just stop at that. I just noticed that you grimaced. Then that gives us a space to go, yeah, you know, that was a little tough. And let me tell you why. all of a sudden, then we're having the kind of interactions that you go, oh my goodness. And there'll be times when we're not capable of doing that, that we'll instead, we'll go flee to the restroom to just go regather and to come back or not to come back. That's our choice.
0: Well, (laughs) I think that probably can be in part due to where we are on our journey as childless, not by choice women, I think. Because some of us are, maybe maybe we're fooling ourselves, I don't know. But some of us are, I think, a little bit further along on the journey to where we won't try to escape to the bathroom, but some will try to escape to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, though, although I like to tell myself, I think I'm a, a bit further ahead than I was 10, 15 years ago. The fact is, I was just thinking about Mother's Day. <laughs> and <laughs> and Aren't and, we all? Yes, we're all thinking about well, We're trying to pretend we're not thinking about it, but we are. And uh, I had already made the decision not to go to church on Mother's Day. I made that a couple of years ago, unless I'm going with my mom to her church. But I got to thinking about Mother's Day and wondering about myself and wondering if I shouldn't be further enough along that I could go on Mother's Day. But then I, I remember interviewing a woman who's now in her 70s, who never had children, had a hysterectomy when she was in her 30s, and she said she does not go. She made that decision a long time ago, and she's stuck by it. So I just wonder, I guess maybe wondering out loud, are we ever far enough along in our journey that there's not one pain point that could send us to the bathroom or send us not to church on this, on Mother's Day? Roundabout question, but... <laughs>
1: Well, I love that you're asking that question because I think we always have the choice and we can make the choice in the moment. We can wake up on Mother's Day morning and say, hey, where am I today Mm -hmm. on this journey? Because Mother's Day, yeah, every time we make the circle around the sun, we're going to circle back through Mother's Day. And I've noticed in recent years, I'm using Mother's Day as a Engaged to see how my journey has gone. Mm. And I had a wonderful conversation. You probably know Catherine Manuel Delisle out of Montreal, but she made the observation when I said, you know, I'm feeling as a result of writing this book and having all these conversations that I feel a sense of lightness and inclusion and clan almost. And she said, that's an indication that you've gone far through your grief process. And I loved the way that she called out that milestone and that settling that I was attributing to some magical thing. It's like, oh, I'm healing. I Mm -hmm. really am doing that in community. Mm -hmm. So Mother's Day, now I know that you experience Mother's Day the way I do. That There's a whole group of us that experience Mother's Day the way that we do. In, In respect to going to church on Mother's Day, There's a woman in a chapter that I wrote, and it was the last chapter I wrote about religion and spirituality. She went back and got her divinity degree when she was 50. And as a result of her coming as a childless slash child-free woman because of her particular circumstance, she's looking at how her church does Mother's Day and is adding another service that is for those for whom the whole concept, the whole topic of mothering motherhood Mm -hmm. has charge to it. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful that she's adding the language that will allow us to be included when they do that thing about stand up or your, your flower.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) That that, that, uh, just escaped my lips. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, go. (laughs) Was that Marion? Was that the story of Marion?
1: Marianne,
0: yes. Okay, because we're, we're going to talk about Marianne a little bit because I okay. was intrigued <laughs> because I grew up in church. So yes, I, I have her pinpointed here, but I wanted to pivot a little bit because you, you <laughs> on page 34, you said about a third of the women I interviewed have witnessed the birth of a child. I wasn't prepared for that. I thought I was odd and figured most women would shy away from that particular life passage regardless of why they hadn't become mothers themselves. And I was like, yeah, I would not want to witness a birth. I just, I can't imagine. And I don't know if you ran into any of the women as you spoke to them about that, but I don't get it. (laughs) None of the women felt a pang of jealousy or sadness or the why not me?
1: Well, I can only speak for myself to that last question, Mm -hmm. uh, because I've been at two births. Mm and one i was right in the midst of infertility treatments oh. see, i'm i'm almost speechless because it's still this was years ago and that miraculous experience to see this process it did i mean it was really hard and mm-hmm. yet it was also a way for me to better i didn't go in with this this is more of a reflective to be able to appreciate that oh my goodness this is an amazing moment. And I will say that that birth moment that was with a human child being born, I had a similar wonder when I was there and sometimes assisting in the birth of lambs. And I know mothers will cringe going, the birth of a lamb is nothing like the birth of a baby. It's like, well, uh aha, I guess it is. And that would be one of those sloppy, icky conversations Mm -hmm. that I would now be willing to go into with a mom about why it is the same. So it's the miracle of just becoming human, right. which I think happens. It happens as well to experience a death of which I've only experienced one. Hmm. So, well,
0: I was just like, no, thank you. I, I'm trying to heal over here. So no, thanks.
1: <laughs> then your answer is uh-uh, <laughs> no, no can do. And no there was can- a woman who said no can do the first time. Mm-hmm. And the same person asked her the second time. She goes, all right, I'm going to do this, but I don't really want to. And she, right. brought, she brought the kid with.
0: I think I read on that one, too, the two friends. Yes. Yes, I read that, too. And so, yeah, I'm still like, nah, I'll pass. But I'm happy for you. I'm not jealous. I do have my why not me moments, but not as many as I used to. But still, no thanks. I'm good. Mm-hmm. So anyway go.
1: no don't <laughs> so, watch the movies nothing
0: <laughs> no i i mean well the movies to me and the you know maybe tv that might be different but going and standing there live no i can't do it <laughs> i'm just going to be honest with myself i think that's great yeah but so another pivot as i read through chapter 5 mm-hmm. where you and again this is not trying to touch pain points or anything this is just me making an observation and trying to be a good interviewer. <laughs> and then chapter five, where you beautifully, but in a bittersweet way, describe the end of your marriage. You talk about how important it is for us to consider how we define family, how our boundaries are shaped because proper boundaries are important to our mental and emotional health, childless or not. But as childless, not by choice women, we get to choose, which I think is pretty cool. And do you agree with that?
1: I, do I didn't used to. I kept trying to flick into and add on to, um, or become more fully present in both the family of my former husband mm-hmm. as well as my own birth family. Because being different in both of those families, I just always felt different. So now the idea that, oh my goodness, I can actually choose my heart family. It's very empowering, yes.
0: So, I mean, that's a plus, you know, regardless of what you went through, extricating yourself from that relationship, not just the ex-husband, but the ex-family relationship. The plus is you get to choose the heart family. And I think that's beautiful because I know in the book you talk about, especially in our elder years some of the women who've made friends with people and gotten quote-unquote roommates and people to bring into their lives so that somebody can check on them. And it's not to use people, but it's, again, community. And we have to, whether we want to admit it or not, some of us may not be there yet. The younger people may not be, but those of us who are looking our elder years in the eyeballs, (laughs) we're thinking, okay, I've got to have a plan long-term care, life insurance. And I talked about that in episode 107. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to choose and choose correctly. And so I think, again, we do getting to choose our family is, I think it's a beautiful thing. So anyway, for, as I read on to page 141, where I, what I loved about the book was how you incorporated the many facets of our humanity. Our childless, child-free, our dreams, our aspirations, what did and did not happen for us. Religious beliefs, thinking about Marion's story, which intrigued me because I grew up in church. Or not, if those people who are not religious. Planning for our elder years, all of these things remind me, or should remind us, of how three-dimensional we all are. And uh, as human beings, we all belong to multiple demographics because that's just human nature. We've got to all fit into some box somewhere. And those who refuse to acknowledge that we are all more than our visible demographic tend to see us as one-dimensional anyway. But we are more than our childlessness at the bottom line, I would think. And and I just wondered what you thought about that.
1: I absolutely agree. We are three-dimensional. We are fully formed humans that have the experience of infertility and, through other circumstances, not having children. That's an aspect of self and why it was so important to me to look at the full life cycle Mm -hmm. and to interview that range of individuals, because Marianne is one woman. Jane is another woman. She's in her mid-80s, and both thought they probably would have children, and for completely different reasons, they didn't. And now it is woven One's in her 50s, the others in her 80s. And it is woven into the fabric of who they are, as it is for you, as it is for me, as it is for all of us, even when we don't want to weave that thread into the tapestry of our lives. And I think that's partially why it's so important to know that there are older women, Yes. regardless of what age we are, there are older women when women in their 20s are trying to decide There are women in their 30s that have experiences that are germane, just in the same way as when we're in our 50s, our 60s. There are women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s that, oh my gosh, they have lived for more than half their lives without having kids. Mm -hmm. And there's so many questions that I have that they're able to answer.
0: Right, it's always going to be a part of their tapestry. It's always going to be something that's maybe not as much on their mind as a woman in her 20s and 30s and maybe even 40s, but it's something that is it's it's part of your memory bank.
1: It is, and when you're talking about end of life and how we pull people in to be supportive, it's dynamic and these women have had a chance to show that over the course of time, we get to change our minds, we get to shift who our family who we count as our families of the heart, which can include our biofamilies, include people that we add along the way, we are shifting and changing partially as a result of not having children. And that that has its upsides and it has its downsides.
0: Right, which is why I talk about how the fact is, the bottom line, at the end of the day, we are, although we're childless, it doesn't make us two-dimensional. We're still three-dimensional. For those who have children who think that we were selfish or there was something wrong with us or whatever reasoning people give themselves for us not to meet their normal, the fact is, we are still three-dimensional people. It just happened that one portion of our lives didn't match somebody else's, the uh, general, demo, um, not demographic, but the general society of having children.
1: Yes. And if I might just add one of the surprises that I've had as a result of writing this book sure. is that women, and actually I'm going to throw the men in here too, mm-hmm. women who have kids, men who do or don't, for some reason are finding The fact that now I'm acknowledging, number one, I don't have kids and what my story is, which was a really hard thing to include in the book. I become a place that they have the license to be more honest and forthcoming about their experiences that are different than what we see on TV. And I have come to really appreciate that so very, very much.
0: Well, I can't say enough about this book. And I, if you want to add to that, that would be, this would be a great time because this is actually where I was going to ask you if you had any, anything that you wanted to go over or cover that we did not, maybe something that you want to make sure that the listener understands even before they read the book, please feel free because there is just so much to this book. I was reading the section on the afterward, the do you mm-hmm. have kids, <laughs> and just giggling at the little comments and commentaries and and even where you say how to treat yourself and how not to treat yourself and how to respond and how not to respond. And so anything that you'd like to add, you know, that I didn't cover, I would love to to hear your thoughts.
1: Well, I appreciate you bringing up the afterwards and for your listeners, the book is not as so much a self-help book as it is a tracing the full life cycle from How we're impacted at work, all the way through to when we think about the end of our lives and how we form our legacies and the creative choices we have to do that. So I finished the book and I'm feeling like, okay, this is good. I got what I needed out here. I think it's comprehensive of the full cycle of life. And then it's like, well, what do I want to have happen now? It's like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, people, I hope, will feel like, like they want to talk about it. And I realized, oh my God, I've done a disservice because. We don't know how to have these conversations. So I, I kind of stepped up and said, all right, I'm going to do an imperfect job of creating a sort of roadmap into how, if you're a mom who asks the question and you get the answer no, what do you do? If you're us and you get the question and you have the answer is no, how do we take that time? That moment when the answer is no, we already know the answer to the question. So what words can we have ready in our mouths? What options do we have ready to go? So that then we get to steer where the conversation goes. And then most importantly, when we encounter another person, man or woman, or non-binary, who does not have kids, how do we enter that space so we can look at the compare and contrast our experiences? look at the different resources that we are brought to bear on the fact that we are going through the full life cycle, not being a parent. So I actually took the license to put some words down that we can try. Again, they're imperfect words, but those do's and don'ts, I've been surprised, frankly, at how powerful people are finding that section.
0: Oh, very much so. I really like where you, you know, no, but we always say, no, but I really like kids or we tried, but it didn't work. And no, but I have wonderful nieces and nephews and I dote on my animals. Like we have to find an excuse for not having the children and not being able to have the children.
1: Yes. And we kind of diss ourselves every single time we say that. It's like, oh, I'm just going to reinforce that I'm lacking and I'm less than.
0: Right. That's we don't and then, need to do that. Exactly. That is not the case, whether we're still grieving or whether we just didn't have a choice in the matter. The fact is we're still a whole three dimensional human being. And so we have
1: and we our birthright is a place in the world.
0: Exactly. Like Pamela Mahoney Sigdanus says, We deserve a place at the table. And it's this is the time for us to have it. If no other time in history, now is the time because there are women coming up, as you mentioned in the book, coming up behind us and the whole demographic, a younger demographic, and probably more women than the 20 or 25 percent that are not going to have children now. They need someone to look to. And I think they have a great number of people to look to in our community. Um,
1: I agree. There are, I mean, you mentioned Jody Day, Karen Malone-Wright, Maxine Mm -hmm. Trump. I mean, there's so many of us now that because we're already sitting at the table, Mm -hmm. it's just, are we speaking up in the conversations because we are smaller We don't occupy as many chairs as parents do. And that'll probably stay the same way. But we don't need to be silent. We just need to figure out how we make our voices heard.
0: And speaking of that, not to prolong anything, but speaking of that, look, we still have to pay taxes. And depending on where you live, if you live in a community or a county where the schools are very good, whatever the rating systems are, you're paying taxes, whether you have children or not, or somebody else's children to go to some awesome schools with awesome school teachers. And so, yeah, we do deserve our place at the table because we don't get to opt out of taxes because we didn't have any children. And that's and so, a
1: beautiful <laughs> example of interdependence. <laughs> right. you know, our, our dollars make a difference in our schools. So, yeah. Right.
0: So our voices should be heard. But anything else that you wanted to add? And please also, the book is now officially out, right? It came out April 2nd.
1: Yes, it came out April second, so it's it's a, like a month old now.
0: Huh? Okay, so that's cool. And where can it be found? Where can we find the book?
1: You can get it anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon, your small independent bookstores. I have links to various resources on my website. Do I and have it's your in website? Ebook. It's pretty straightforward. It's Kate Kaufman, K A U F M A N N
0: All right, so I'm going to add that on to the show notes. Kate Kaufman, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to ask you one more time if you have anything else you'd like to add before we um, call it done on this interview.
1: Well, Sevilla, I think I could talk to you for hours and days and weeks. So uh, (laughs) this has just been delightful. And I just appreciate everything you're doing to bring the reality of our place on earth into the light. So thank you.
0: Well, you're welcome. Thanks for for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And to the listeners, to everybody listening, childless, with children, whomever you are, thank you for tuning in. I hope that this interview has been enlightening. I know it has been. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Childless Not By Choice podcast. Until next time, talk to you later. Bye.